Hello, welcome to God Day. I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today I want to look at the Mount Everest of prophecy, the most awesome prophecy perhaps, uh, Isaiah 53. Um, an amazing prophecy fulfilled by Jesus. It, it's really a poem with three, in three verses. It, sorry, in five verses. And um, it's about the servant of the Lord. It's a prophecy of the Messiah accomplishing our salvation. And of course, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in his death and resurrection, and there's so much in it. It's one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is the Messiah. And, uh, you know, it is talking about the suffering servant, the servant of God who dies and takes our sins in order to purchase our salvation. And the New Testament confirms that indeed it is talking about Jesus. And we see that in Acts 8. Let's see this quickly before we get into Isaiah 53. It's Philip the evangelist. And he, and he runs, the God takes him into the desert where there's an Ethiopian. Uh, and Philip runs to him and he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And that he came to the place in the scripture which he read, which was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his gener generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And this is taken from Isaiah 53. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet speak? Uh, of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. In other words, he was saying, Jesus Christ has fulfilled this prophecy in his death and resurrection. And so this prophecy is all about the gospel and it was given 700 BC, 700 years before the coming of Christ. And so it's a beautifully constructed song in five sections of three verses each. And, you know, uh, to set the scene in Isaiah 52, uh, God introduces the theme of the salvation through the Messiah. For instance, in chapter 2, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, peace between God and man, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. In other words, God has triumphed over sin and death through the Messiah who is bringing peace and salvation. And we, this is the good news, the report of the Lord of what the Messiah has done. That's what we call the gospel. And verse 10 in Isaiah 52, it says, the Lord has made bare his holy arm. That means his power and actually God's arm is really the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling God's uh, work. Uh, he says he's made bare his ho holy arm. He's revealed his arm in the eyes of all the nations. All nations are going to hear about this. And the, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. When the gospel is preached for them, they will see, they will get the revelation of what God has done for them in his mighty power, what he has accomplished 
praise God. And then Isaiah 53 we'll look at. Now Isaiah 54 actually is also a wonderful chapter that describes the, um, all the blessings that are poured out as a result of the Messiah's death. So let's look at this song. And actually it starts in Isaiah 52 verse 13 and we're going to notice a lot of prophecies that are fulfilled uh, throughout this psalm. Over 20 prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus that are given here. Uh, The first prophecy we're going to see is that the Messiah will be God's servant who will succeed in his mission by knowing and doing God's will perfectly and this will be proved by his threefold exaltation to heaven after fulfilling his ministry on earth. We're going to see that in the first section now. So in Isaiah 52, 13, it says this, God starts it off by saying, behold. In other words, God wants our attention on this man, this Messiah, my servant. In other words, this man that we're talking about is carrying out God's will. My servant shall prosper. He will succeed in his mission. And he will be exalted. This is letting us know, even though he's going to be suffering, he's going to succeed. He will be exalted. That's his resurrection. And he will be lifted up. That's his ascension into heaven. And he will be very high. That talks about him sitting down at the right hand of God. So this is declaring in advance his victory. Praise God. And um, then it transitions into verse 14. Uh, according, uh, and in verse 14, we get another prophecy that says, first of all, he will ex- ex- have ex- suffer extreme humiliation, but that is the basis for his exaltation. And he will suffer extreme physical punishment, abusing his face and his body more than any other man. And we we'll see that. So let's look at verse 14. According as many were appalled at you, his appearance, that's his face, was marred more than any other man. And his form, that's his body, more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. This is an amazing prophecy. It's even saying now he will die a sacrificial death. He will sprinkle, that's the word for sprinkling with blood. He will sprinkle many nations with his blood. He doesn't just die for Israel, he dies for the whole world. And through his blood, you can be saved, you can be sanctified, praise God. But he will suffer in his face, in his body, an appalling treatment as he is killed for us. And then it describes the results of his suffering in verse 15. In fact, there's a prophecy here that his suffering will have a sacrificial purpose. His life blood will be poured out and sprinkled, that means applied upon all peoples for their forgiveness from sin. So this is predicting that he will die as the sacrificial lamb. And and that's verse 15, says, so shall he sprinkle many nations with his blood. And then it predicts that many Gentiles through, from the nations will believe on him. Uh, this is the prophecy that is in the rest of verse 15. When the Gentiles hear the gospel of what God has done for them, they'll be amazed, they'll be awed, for they've never heard anything like this before. And many Gentiles, even the kings, 
will believe in God through Messiah's suffering and be saved. And that has been fulfilled in church history as the gospel has gone to the nations. Let's read that. Verse 15, the Gentile kings shall shut their mouths at him. In other words, they will be in awe. They will be in astonishment so that they can't even speak. For what had been not told them, that shall they see. And what they had not heard of, shall they perceive. When they hear the gospel, it will be like they've never heard anything like this before. This is, this is outstanding. Their, their Gentile background has not prepared them for this, but they will believe when they hear it. And then we go to the next section, part two which is Isaiah 53 now. The first three verses is, is the next section. And in these verses, we'll, we will see another prophecy that the message of Christ and salvation through the blood will go out. But it also predicts that Israel as a whole will not believe in it. That's the shocking thing. Verse, and there's also another prophecy that those who do believe the report uh, of Isaiah 53 are the very same as those who will experience the arm of the Lord saving them. Uh, and so God supplies and applies the forgiveness and healing purchased by Christ to those who believe and receive it. Let, let, in other words, it's predicting salvation through faith. Uh, and that's what the gospel is. Verse 1, chapter 53, it says, Who has believed our report? Or who has believed God's report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And so um, here already is a sense, and this is quoted by other scriptures in John 12, 37 and 38, Romans 10, 16. This question, who has believed our report, is already implying Israel's unbelief, but because not many actually did believe. Um, but it, on the positive side, if you are the one who believes in God's report, then to you, God's arm, God's power will be revealed. God will reveal his salvation in your life. You will experience the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, saving you if you believe the report in Isaiah 53 is fulfilled by Jesus. Well, the next verse speaks of another prophecy which says that his rejection by Israel is because they didn't expect the Messiah to come in such a humble way as a suffering servant, suffering an accursed death. That's not their vision of the Messiah. Even though it's predicted here, they were looking for a conquering Messiah. So when he came in humility, they didn't recognize him. But um, we, how we see that uh, again in verse 2. For he grew up before him. He grew up before God. In the, it says that he will grow up as a young child uh, in the presence of God. He'll live a perfect life before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And this is talking about his humble origins. He isn't going to grow up in a royal palace, like you might expect, but in very humble circumstances. And, and it says, he has no stately form or splendor that we should look upon him. He, he wasn't glorified, he looked like us. 
or beauty. He didn't have any exceptional appearance that people would follow him because he was like this glorious God-like person that, that we should desire him. And, and in other words, it's, they would expect their Messiah to be this powerful, conquering guy. And actually, he's saying, no, he's going to come in humility. He's not going to be, uh, appear like a king or even look, be glorious in that way. It wasn't going to be the way they expected him. He's going to come as a humble servant. And so, again, this prophesies that from birth he'd be holy and upright, growing up into perfect manhood. And um, he would grow up in dry ground. In other words, as time of spiritual dryness in the nation. And, um, and, and there would be nothing special about his circumstances that would make people think, uh, you know, that he, he is the king. Uh, and that's why they didn't accept him. He didn't fit their pre-expectations. Pre it says that he'd have the appearance of an ordinary man and he would not possess unusual looks to draw men to himself in the natural. Uh, in other words, his majesty and his glory would be veiled. All right, the, verse 2 uh, we've covered. Um, the next verse, verse 3, predicts that he would be despised and rejected by men. He would suffer great sorrow and grief. He wouldn't get the respect that he deserved. He would be shunned. And of course, we know that this was fulfilled by Jesus, especially in his suffering and in his death when everyone turned away from him. Let's read that, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And actually, this word sorrows is makob, which includes physical pains. And he was acquainted with grief, that's koli, which includes physical disease. And this is talking about when he died on the cross, he took our emotional sorrows, but he also took our diseases and our pains. He bore the full curse on himself of sin. And it says, as one from men hide their face, they, they couldn't look upon him on the cross. Such was his, his agony and he was despised and we esteemed him not. It, he he did, was not recognized for who he was. People did not realize, especially at the time, that he was dying for their sins. He, he was n wasn't given the respect that he deserved. He came in humility. He dies on a cross. This is not what you'd expect of the Messiah. And yet Jesus fulfilled that. Then the next section is from verse 4 to 6. And this describes, and this is the very heart of the prophecy, and it describes his substitution, what he did for us on the cross, the great replacement where he took our place and took our sin for us on the cross. Let's read that. And, and basically, this is a prophecy in these verses, is that eventually, even Israel, those who rejected him will finally realize the divine purpose in his suffering, that he didn't die as a punishment for his own sin, but for their sins. And he died as the sinless substitute for the sins of the world, taking our sin, our judgment, our curse, 
so that we might have fullness of restoration in every area of our life. And it predicts that he died physically, carrying our sicknesses and our pains to provide our healing. That's all there. Let's read it. Verse 4, surely he has borne, or he's lifted it up and carried it away. Surely he has borne, it says, our griefs and carried our sorrows. And again, it's the words Koli and Makob, it's the words also apply to sicknesses and pains. Surely he's borne our sicknesses. The Young's Literal says that. And he's carried our pains. Jesus took your sicknesses and pains, emotional and physical, on the cross. He took the curse. He became the curse for you. That's what this is saying. He, he He took our sicknesses and he carried our pains. See him bearing your sicknesses and pains on the cross. And you know, the New Testament the Holy Spirit interprets this as physical sicknesses and pains. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says that Jesus healed all the sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, here in Isaiah 53, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And the Greek words here that are used are specifically physical sicknesses and infirmities. All right, the Hebrew word can mean both. But the, the Greek word here, so the Holy Spirit is saying, I was talking about physical sicknesses as in, and infirmities. Jesus took the curse on every level, spiritually and physically, for us. And then it says, yet we did not esteem him stricken. Sorry, yet we did esteem him stricken. That means killed. Smitten of God. In other words, people looking at the cross, they would say, There, he's on the cross. He's a cursed man because he is being judged by God and he is being afflicted. And and what they thought was he is suffering because of his own sins. That's why he's dying. And they didn't understand that actually he was dying for our sins, you see. He was being judged by God for our sins. And that's what they go on to point out. And verse 5 now is the central verse of the whole um, passage. But he was wounded, and here's the key revelation. He was wounded, or literally pierced, for our transgressions, our breaking of the law. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities, our acts of rebellion. The chastisement or the punishment of our peace, our shalom, our wholeness, praise God, uh, was upon him. He took the punishment that we deserved so that we might have peace, that we might have wholeness, praise God. And with his stripes, literally bruise, we were healed, or literally healing is to us. Praise God. And so through his suffering, he died for us. This is talking about the Messiah dying for our sins so that we might be healed, physically healed, emotionally healed, and that we might have shalom, that we might have peace with God and harmony in our life for all eternity. Praise God. And this was fulfilled by Jesus. 1 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore 
his own, our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness. And in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's a definition of sin, just going our own way like silly sheep. And the Lord has laid, that literally means made to meet together, the sin of every man and woman was put on Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus took your sin and my sin. Praise God. And then it says in the next section, he was oppressed and afflicted. In other words, he was unfairly executed. Yet he humbled himself and opened not his mouth. He didn't try and defend himself. It says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Again, a sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And this is saying that he voluntarily laid down his life for us. He was silent before his accusers. He subjected himself to unjust treatment and false accusations. Why? And he could have called on God to save him and the angels to deliver him, but he was laying down his life voluntarily for us. And then it says from oppression, that's literally prison, and judgment, that's a trial, so it predicts he'll go to prison. He will have a trial. He was taken away, that means to death. And who of his generation considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, that means he's executed by capital punishment, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. People didn't realize he was suffering that voluntarily to pay the price for people's sins. And then it says, verse 9, they assigned him his grave with the wicked. Yes, he died as a, as a wicked, as a criminal as it were. And he would have been put into a criminal common grave, like a big hole in the ground where they throw all the criminals in. But, it says, God wouldn't let that happen. It says, with a rich man was he buried in his death. In other words, God overrode that and provided a rich man's tomb. And we know that was Joseph. Because, why? God wouldn't allow him to be buried as a criminal. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. In other words, he was innocent and sinless. And so this predicts that though they planned to bury him as a criminal, he would end up in a rich man's tomb. And then it says, the great reward, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him. In other words, God was judging our sins on him. He has put him to grief. That literally means he's made him sick with our sicknesses. When his soul makes an offering for sin. And here it says it straightforwardly, he will be a sin offering. He is the fulfillment of all the pictures of the animals being sacrificed as sin offerings. He will be the ultimate and the final sin offering. Praise God. He will take our sin and give us his righteousness. Then verse 10 says, he will see his seed. That's you, his offspring, those who are born again through his sacrifice. He will see his seed. He will prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's predicting his resurrection to eternal life. He will prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord. That's you. You are his pleasure and you will prosper in his hands. If you trust in him, you are put in his hand and he will see you prosper in his hand for all eternity. 
Praise God. He will see the travail of his soul. He will see the results of the travail of his soul. That's you. And he will be satisfied. He'll be satisfied that it was worth doing everything he did because you will be saved from hell and be in eternity forever. And then verse 11 finishes by saying, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. This is justification by faith. What that's saying is, really should be translated, by the knowledge of him. In other words, through knowing him, through faith, my righteous servant will justify many. Justify means to make righteous. So in other words, through his sacrifice, he doesn't just take our sin, because he is the righteous one, the righteous servant, he will give us his righteousness. Those who know him, those who trust in him, will receive his righteousness, and so they will be justified. We, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness through the knowledge of him. When we know him through the gospel and trust in him, we receive his righteousness, for he will bear their iniquities. He takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness. This is the prophecy of the great exchange. Praise God. And then it finishes by saying, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. Praise God. So he will get the, the spoil the, of, his, of his victory. Praise God. And he will divide it with us. Those who are strong in faith, those who trust in him, we will receive the blessings that he won through his victory. He's going to share it with us. Why? Because, number one, he poured out his soul unto death. He, he gave it all. He's saying God is going to exalt him to the highest place because he humbled himself. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And that's you. You're one of those transgressors. And he, he identified with you. He wasn't a transgressor, but he identified with you in order to save you. He became like us, yet without sin. He identified with us and he took our sin and he took the blame. He took the punishment for our sin on the cross. He numbered with us. He identified with us and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God, you were the transgressor. The judgment of God was coming on you, but Jesus interceded for you. He stepped into the gap and he said, no God, don't pour the punishment on them. I'm gonna take the punishment on myself. And that's what it means, to intercede means to put yourself in the gap. And he took the punishment for our sins on himself. He bore the sin of many and he took our punishment. Praise God. He identified with us and he gave up his life unto death. And therefore, God is going to highly exalt him. Praise God. And I will divide him a portion with the great. So, in other words, in this, in this wonderful prophecy, the whole plan of salvation is prophesied. Praise God. And Jesus fulfilled this in every detail. I know this prophecy helped me come to faith. I realized Jesus had to be the Messiah and he died for my sins. It's just laid out so clearly in this awesome prophecy. No wonder it's known as the Mount Everest of prophecy. Put your trust in Jesus. He has taken your sin. He's taken your sicknesses and he wants you to have shalom. He wants you to have healing and wholeness and fullness and he wants you to be satisfied with his work and give him your heart. 
today and thank him for what he has done for you by saving you. Praise God, to the, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Thank God for Jesus and his death for us. Amen. Thank you.